Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I've got the absolute pleasure today of introducing you to Lisa Cox. Lisa, wonderful to have you here. Good morning. It's great to be here. Lisa, I am going to very briefly share a little bit about you and then we'll jump straight in. So Lisa Cox is an award-winning writer, author and media professional who is actively changing the way disability is represented in mainstream popular culture, like advertising, marketing, media, fashion industries and more. Lisa has been featured in Harper's Bazaar, Fox, CNN, CBS, the Sydney Morning Herald, Huffington Post and Business Insider. Lisa's also on the board of directors at Just Social, focused on online human rights, and is the Disability Affairs Officer at Media Diversity Australia. Lisa, as I said, wonderful to have you here. I'm going to ask for anyone who hasn't had the pleasure of coming across you before, would you tell us um, who you are, a bit about your background, and I guess why you are who you are? Oh, well, you, you just certainly covered off covered off quite a few things there but I suppose I spent several years working in advertising absolutely loved it was creating ads as a copywriter for large corporates national and international brands and um, then the proverbial hit the fan I suppose I acquired multiple visible and invisible disabilities and found there was a way to use my professional background with my lived experience and found that I could essentially use that skill set to provide a voice instead of for European cars and all of my other clients, uh, use that skill set to provide visibility for disability. So now I work with brands and businesses to help them navigate the nuances of, I suppose, um, representing disability and all those sorts of things without being cancelled or pulled out on Twitter and doing it the right way and doing it without being tokenistic or really cringeworthy, I suppose, because it can be a bit tricky. And I used to be that that person who wanted wanted to, you know, represent disability, but as a non-disabled person back then, I didn't know how to do it well, but now I have that insight and I can help them do it well. So if we go right back to before you even got into marketing, so, you know, growing up and those sorts of things, did you always know you were going to head in that direction? Was that always the goal? No. <laughs> Where were you going? Oh, so way, way back. I wanted to be an occupational therapist back then. So I studied science for years and did all, did all that stuff. I was, I was a bit of a, bit of a science junkie and then, discovered advertising and ironically enough was was one of the kids who just grew up on ABC TV wasn't allowed to watch mainstream television all, all of that stuff was banned so I think it was rebellious that I <laughs> discovered 
or ended up working in advertising was super rebellious. I'll, I'll do this to my father because I wasn't allowed to, to have any, any um, I wasn't allowed to watch it when I was growing up. Absolutely loved the industry, marketing, advertising, media, the creative industries, I suppose. And the fact that I, I got paid for it as well. I used to joke with friends that I can't believe I got paid for this to write. And I, I always loved writing. So to be able to create advertising and then as a, as a side, I suppose, to be able to, to shape, um, shape social constructs and shape social attitudes and things like that mm. was, um, was nice as well. Yes, it was about consumerism and, and those sorts of things but I really like the way that I can use those skills now to shape social attitudes about much bigger issues and topics like our attitudes towards disability. So one of the things you and I spoke about when we first got together was um, that early stage of your career and I think I think the way you expressed it to me um, was a point when gender was your only barrier. Yes, <laughs> those good old days. <laughs> and you, you know, before we, we move off of that, what do you remember as those barriers? You know, what, what sort of experiences might you have at that time that sort of still, you know, you can, you still recall? Well, just to, I suppose, add a bit of context for your audience, I, I acquired my disabilities when I was 24, so... I went to university and spent um, four or five years in, in the corporate world, in corporate media marketing and advertising. And during those, during those years, my, my barriers, I suppose, climbing the corporate ladder. Um, my only barriers per se were um, where gender was my, my only um, my only barrier. I had white privilege, so to speak. Yes. Um, and yes, all of my, my bosses were predominantly old white men in suits, um, lovely guys, but still, um, so that, that certainly was, was my barrier. Um, and that, those, the good old days when that's, that's all I had to worry about. So on our earlier call, I did, I did joke to you that that was my, my only barrier back then. And of course, these days. I have that that intersectionality and other other listeners may relate they may have skin color or or something else that that is their their version of intersectionality that they also have their gender as well as disability or skin color or something else um, that they also have to have to um, deal with it as a barrier. So Lisa, can I ask then for the audience, can you talk about uh, what happened when you were 24? Yeah, sure. So uh, early one morning, I was at um, yeah, I was at Melbourne Airport and I had, um, unbeknownst to me, I had a rare version of streptococcus A and I'm no medical professional but it was a rare version of an infection that caused a brain hemorrhage, like a stroke. So I collapsed at the airport. Um, I have no recollection of this time. This was complete amnesia. Um, they took me to hospital. The brain hemorrhage or the stroke caused all of my organs to shut down. I spent three weeks in a coma. 
two months on life support and over a year in hospital after that. During that first year in hospital, uh, my left leg, all of my right toes and nine of my fingertips were amputated, still have my left thumb. Um, I had heart surgery twice, I had total hip replacements. And I think they're all of the, the physical, physical things, but I have um, permanent brain injury because of that. So I'm over 25% blind. My speech has also been affected. And I have epilepsy, problems with things like memory loss, uh, but that's concentration, chronic pain, peripheral neuropathy, which is a fancy word, another fancy word for chronic pain, um, and all sorts of all sorts of fun things like that. So even though they're the invisible disabilities, they are certainly far more impactful on my day than the things you can see, like my wheelchair, which I use all the time to get around now. So Lisa, um, and, and you and I have had a chance to, um, you know, for you to share parts of that story with me before. And I remember saying to you that I saw some photos of you um, in hospital, and I'm not sure how early in the stage that was, but I saw you in hospital with a, a massive beaming smile on your face. And, you know, I wanted to ask you about that because that's a, a pretty significant series of events for anyone to have to deal with. Where was this big smile coming from? Honestly, I was, it was, it was genuine because I was so, I don't want to swear, effing lucky, grateful. I knew how grateful I was, how lucky I was to be alive. I was so happy to be there. Mm. I yes, I was in a, a public hospital bed, and it was it was pretty dire. But holy holy hell, I was I was alive, and that was that was pretty awesome. So I was pretty excited to be there. So um, coming through that, you had to you had to learn to do all sorts of things again, didn't you? Pretty much, absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, at, at first, all I could do um, was was blink and just, just move my head a little bit side to side. So your audience can't, can't quite see me now, but I'm mobilised in a wheelchair. I can move my arms and legs absolutely fine. I'm completely independent, do everything by myself. But at first, I had to feed myself brush my own teeth learn how to brush my own teeth again absolutely everything so that was challenging learn to drink from a cup you name it I had to had to learn how to do it myself again that that was challenging so uh yeah that that took a bit of time even even learning to type again so I'm a writer and had been for years and I used to lie there in hospital watching the the little tv in the the corner of the hospital hospital room and watch the ads on TV and rewrite the scripts in my head and think I probably would have written the script this way and used that tagline. And as a writer, if, I, if any writers are watching, knowing that you have words in your head and not being able to get them out on paper is the most frustrating thing in the world. <laughs> it's the opposite. It's the opposite of writer's block almost, isn't it? It's not <laughs> Got people there with no. the words. You've, you've got all the words and you couldn't get it. Right. 
incredibly frustrating. So my my beautiful mother used to sit beside me and and scribe for me, and I'd write letters to friends. Dear Anita, hope you are well. Full stop. And I I'd, I'd um write it out for her, including, you know, grammatical full stops and commas and, and everything. And then she'd go home and type it up and, and that's how it worked for a little while. And then yeah. I soon realised that I'd have to teach myself how to type again because all of these words in my head needed to get out. I was going insane. So I invested in a very cheap laptop and just that first year after I got out of hospital, sat at mum and dad's kitchen table and just taught myself how to type very very slowly <laughs> with my my remaining dodgy fingertips yep <laughs> and and that's how I did it and word by word letter by letter page by page page by page put my my first together and then another and articles and then to where we are now Lisa, tell me the story about how you got to the point of becoming an advocate that was a very, very slow journey. Mm. And funnily enough, I first swore black and blue to friends and family that I will absolutely not be a disability advocate. Swore to my sister, never. Don't want to borrow it. And that was because the the only disability advocates that I saw, and this, is, this may be my fault because I wasn't looking hard enough, um, the only advocates that I saw were, were were not my people. They they didn't represent the sorts of advocacy that I um, I saw myself being and the voice that I I spoke in and those sorts of things. So, and I, I say when I say they were very angry, I. There's nothing wrong with being angry. <laughs> I'll put that up. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't the style of advocacy that I saw as being conducive to change. So I've been criticised for saying those sorts of things in the past, but that's that's where I stand on that. It wasn't conducive to change. So I I swore that not that one bar of advocacy. But it dawned on me after a while and doing a, a bit more hunting around that, well, actually, no, I, I can be an advocate, but I can do it my way. I can do it, I can do it differently. I can put my own voice to that. And so that's exactly what I did. Did you have to find your voice in that space? I mean, did you did you feel confident immediately, or what were some? Yeah, absolutely tell not. us about that, and what were some of the experiences you had along the way? Um, you know, in terms of, um, I think you shared something to me about applying for a job um, before and after um, the stroke. Sure, there's there's been um, so applying for work, I suppose. Um, that's a separate issue again. Applying for work with a disability is a, I suppose, a separate issue again. Um, the the bar is set, unfortunately, which is something I'm I'm trying to change along with many other people. The bar is set very low generally for people with a disability, and the expectations of us are also very very low. Um, so just to set the scene, I would previously walk into an advertising agency with my resume, my portfolio, my list of qualifications, 
and perhaps get the job. And more often, oh, sorry, these days, perhaps I would roll in to an advertising agency, um, generally the same portfolio, same list of qualifications, um, same bachelor degrees, those sorts of things. They don't change. Um, and the, the difference in, in looks and, and those sorts of things, the feedback I would get was strikingly different. Mm. Um, and so I, I, stopped, <laughs> I stopped looking for work in advertising agencies long ago because I realised that that just wasn't wasn't where I would I would fit best but um, I've heard heard very similar similar stories from other people with disabilities the more the more I've asked around I've, I've unfortunately found that it's it's quite quite a common quite a common occurrence mm. um, but again this, this comes back to the, the low expectations that are set um, by, by society generally about people people with disabilities, not just in the employment sector, but um, even when we're out and about. And this can be as simple as me going into a, a cafe and a stranger coming up to me and saying, oh, it's good to see you're out. Right. I come here every day. I'm, a, I'm out. I'm, I'm a, a tax-paying functioning member of society. What do you expect to be home and sitting in the cupboard feeling sorry for myself and um it's 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 as simple as those sorts of little things and this is what myself and others are trying to change this narrative around disability that we're not all people to be pitied and we're just normal um normal um members of society who who pay taxes and have kids and get married and do all the the other day-to-day things just like everybody else and it's things like marketing and advertising and other forms of popular culture that can help to reshape narrative. So let me get back us back on track then around no no my fault my fault I asked several questions at once before I've got a a lovely way of doing that Um, (laughs) so Lisa how did you find your voice in this space? Uh, Lots of trial and error (laughs) nothing wrong with failing miserably as I know well, <laughs> so um, I just kept putting myself out there and going, well, that didn't work, I'll try this, and that didn't work, I'll try this. Oh, that worked, I'll keep trying that. That worked, I'll keep trying that. That didn't work, and just continue that that way. And um, yeah, I got some, some really good feedback on some things, got some terrible feedback on others, and terrible feedback, some of it you take on board and go, oh, that was terrible. Who cares? I'll keep going anyway. Yeah. Other terrible feedback you take on board and go, oh, okay, I will listen to that. I will take that on board. Noted, won't do it again. But certainly I've got some terrible feedback on board and went, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> what, what um, I guess what got you to the point from sort of saying to your sister and others that I am not going to be an advocate in this space, what changed? Seeing the, the positive results and the positive impact that my voice was having, seeing that 
other people were following suit, seeing, and when I say other people following suit, other people of the disability advocates rising and going, you know what, we need more of these voices and joining me um, and, and also joining me and the, so the voice grew louder. So it's, so, so things like that, it wasn't, wasn't just me. Um, and and seeing, seeing the positive change, so seeing that it it wasn't yeah it wasn't wasn't just me saying saying one or two things. It was having a really positive sound effect and achieving achieving the objective, which was to change the representation of disability and mainstream public culture. Brands were reacting. Brands were putting people with disabilities in their advertising, changing their business practices. This was incredible. This wasn't happening five years ago. This wasn't happening 10 years ago. Those, those sorts of flow and effects I couldn't have dreamed of, so it was great. And, Lisa, we're talking here about, if my statistics are right, we're talking here about one in, one in five? Correct, yes. Yeah, one in five Australians are living with a disability of some sort. Exactly right, yep. Yeah. Okay, so it's hardly a um, it's hardly a small percentage, um, yep. enormous kind of figures, um, and it's interesting because we can um, you know this series started because I was very curious around why we didn't have um, growth in the number of senior female executives across organisations in Australia, and I've just continued to be curious about all ranges of diversity. And when you and I talked, we couldn't even find any statistics on um, people living with disabilities in senior positions. Yeah, I, unfortunately, there aren't there aren't many. Um, I can I can think of a few. Um, they they tend to be in disability specific um, organisations, though. But um, I. I think in our first conversation, I may, I may have spoken to you about Sephora. Did I? Did no, I, you didn't. I didn't. Excellent. Okay. Um, so I know, as as an example of how how not to do it, um, recently Sephora came out beating their chest and sent out hundreds of press releases and talking about how wonderful they were. They were so diverse and inclusive and. Um, they had hired 150 staff with disabilities. And I thought, this sounds a bit sus. They're, they're making too big a deal of this. I'm going to dig a bit deeper. So I did. And I looked into it. And, yes, they had hired 150 staff with disabilities in the warehouse. And I thought, oh. right, that's that sucks. So it's not just a matter of hiring staff with disabilities in the lowest lowest job imaginable yes that job is great for some people no doubt but it's a matter of hiring people with disabilities throughout throughout the levels as well yes the finance department the HR department on the board all of all of these positions can be filled by people with disabilities it's not something that's going to happen overnight because yes it's it's a long it's a long term a long-term thing but it's it's certainly something that we can we can start to look at we can start to look at now so 
Um, I've yeah got some more more content coming out on that shortly, but I, I did try to contact Sephora, but they, they hung up on me and didn't answer my <laughs> my emails and calls. But anyway, that's another story. Why are um, you referenced earlier around kind of cancel culture and people getting called out on Twitter and things like that? Yeah. What, what, what's, what's the story? What's going on? With, in regard to what, what's, what's yes, going no, on? I completely understand what you're saying, but with regard to what is. Um, when you raised it, is it, yeah. um, you know, I get the feeling people are, are almost scared sometimes to speak out about some of that stuff because of what it might kind of generate by way of a response. Yeah, I think brands are so terrified of doing something that they do nothing at all, which is which is a real shame. And that's the unfortunate result of, oh, not the unfortunate result, but the... Um, the unfortunate thing about something like disability representation, I and mean, we can, you know, transfer disability to something like colour or another minority group, we can, you know, transfer all of these things across um, instead of, you know, stepping out on a limb and being brave and doing that thing, they go, oh, shit, we don't want to be cancelled, we don't want to be called out, so we'll just play it safe and use the old white man instead because he's safe and no one can no one can call us out um, or whatever the case may be. In, insert whatever, <laughs> whatever you want into that example. But, um, yeah, I suppose cancel culture and, and those sorts of things, it, it's very very easy to do by the, the keyboard warriors and whoever they may be, but I'm, I'm, I'm personally not, not a huge, not a huge fan because there's, where's, where's the sustainable, the sustainable change? It's. Lisa, what do you think is the question we should all be asking about diversity? That's a really, a really, a really big, Loaded question in regard to disability or in regard to broadly as an, as organisations thinking about diversity. What you know? What okay? Is it with is it equity or is it uh, equality? You can put whatever lens you want on the response. Okay, um, but it's just okay. Uh, are you just ticking a box? Uh, uh, ask, ask yourself if you're just if you're just ticking a box. So if you're after equality, great, but uh, is that equality or is it equity? So it's use a boardroom example. Yes. If you're looking for equality, and I'm just going to use disability as an example because that's, that's what I'm comfortable with and obviously know best. Yep. If um, you just want that that tokenistic disabled person at the boardroom table and I've been that tokenistic person at the boardroom table so I know how that feels it's terrible um don't don't just make that uh, a tick box a tick box um exercise because if make it equitable as well so if for example um that boardroom has stairs going up to it if that boardroom meeting is at a time that does not suit the person with disabilities, if that 
boardroom meeting does not have, uh, I don't know, a bathroom with wheelchair access or does not have some other facility that the person. So ask if it's equitable as well. So does the boardroom have stairs, for example? Does the boardroom meeting have to be held at a time that is suitable for the person with disabilities? Does it have wheelchair um, bathrooms or accessible bathrooms? Um, all sorts of other, other things which the person with disabilities may require. So that's equity. Equity. Yeah. Equality, sorry as well um, as equity. So don't just make a tick box um, exercise, I suppose. Diversity diversity is one thing, but making it a really holistic um, practice as well as, as just tick box because consumers, generally your staff, consumers, are more savvy to the fact that they can see through bullshit. They can, they can really see that you, you've just put the black guy in the ad or the wheelchair in the ad or whoever it is um, in the boardroom or in the ad or wherever it may be to, to tick a box and make everyone happy. And having been that, that tick box person who was, has just been planted, um, it feels terrible for that, for that person as well as everybody else who's looking on going, she's only there because... So, Lisa, what did you do in that situation? Because whichever way we look at diversity, people will share that experience you've just talked about, um, regardless of, um, you know, which lens we're putting on it. What did you do in that situation where I'm assuming that's a real example where there was a boardroom with stairs to it and things like that? This, that the, the boardroom with stairs is, is, was not a real okay. example. That one okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. Gosh, I was thinking, wow. So no, um, no, that one, that one wasn't. And the, um, yeah, no, that that one absolutely wasn't. Fortunately, all of my boardrooms have had had great access. Good. But um, yeah, they have some some of my examples that are, are absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely the, the, question, the question really is, how do you deal with the situation where you're there and you know you're there because it is a, a token or a ticker box situation? Oh, I resign. <laughs> that's, what I've, that's what I've done. And some of the other examples happened, happened so many years ago that they, um, yeah, they, they sort of happened before I became, became more aware of it. But, um, yeah, I've resigned from, okay. from so, that position can I ask you about one of the things that you know as I have a lot of these conversations and you know I'm tackling it um, from from gender diversity as the first lens I'm putting on it some of the things and I'd love to hear some of the parallels some of the things that you know you hear sometimes is we have a pipeline problem um, you know you hear things about we've got to push really hard to get women to take some of these roles on in the disability space, are we likely to hear the same feedback from people about, you know, I can't find people, uh, you know, they're not turning up, they're, you know, do you, how do you respond to those sorts of things? I don't think, I, I don't know if you're necessarily trying, trying hard enough and you may not be looking in the right places because depending on where you're looking, 
not people with disabilities aren't necessarily going on seek if that's if that's if that is where you are looking mm. um people and i'm just using this as an example first thing popping into mind um people who are vision impaired for example might not be using seek because seek doesn't have um the screen reader capabilities now i don't know if they do but yeah that that could be that could be your issue um sorry speak if you do but something as simple as that could could simply be the issue yeah so do you have advice for people you know and and um if they're trying to navigate this space and they're um, interested in making genuine improvements, how do you guide people in that space? Collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. Um, reach out to disability organisations, people with disabilities Australia, organisations like that. The peak bodies, we're doing a project at the moment, many University of Australia, and we're collaborating with peak disability organisations to ask ask their advice around around a project we're working on because they know their people best. They know the sector best. Um, instead of trying to just guess, um, ask ask them what the publications are, what the best websites are, those those sorts of things. Um, and they would absolutely be able to point you in the right direction. Have you got a vision? So the advocacy work that you're doing, what's um, what's it all about? Where, where do you want to see us in five years' time? I would love to be unemployed. <laughs> and I, by, by that I mean I would, I would like to be doing a lot less advocacy work and not have to be constantly explaining and educating and I mean I, I love it and I don't mind yep. doing it but I'd like not to be I'd um, like everyone just to get it and go well yeah of course shut up of course I get it we, we know it's important don't explain it to me I'm not stupid <laughs> so at the moment I love it and I don't mind but it would be lovely if everyone just got it and advertisers did it without thinking and I didn't have to go there and say this is what you have to do and this is why you need to do it and this, this is already sort of the value in it and saw that an extra 20% market share was worth their time and investment. So what's the perfect uh, role for you? The perfect role for me? Yeah. At the moment continuing continuing my consultancy work continuing my work with Community University Australia and more of the same, to be honest. Loving what I'm doing now, so more of the same. Lisa, I always ask everybody um, about brave feminine leadership. And, you know, I would so love to get your perspective on that, about what brave feminine leadership looks like from your perspective. Hmm. I think everyone assumes that a leader is someone who is the, the one at the front shouting the loudest and standing up and but some of the very best leaders I I know and who, who I've worked with are the ones pushing the others forward under the spotlight and 
they're not always the ones out the front under the spotlight themselves. They're sitting quietly off the back and they're still making the most money and many of the KPIs and doing all the, the wonderful things and the business is still booming, but they're still extraordinary leaders. But, yeah, that, that would be it. Plus not not doing everything the way it's always been done, being prepared to take risks and giving a big F you to the, the way things have already been done. Lisa, thank you so much for joining our conversation. Um, you've been so generous with your time. And um, are there any last call outs you'd love to give for, you know, where you think there is some really good progress in this space? I think that Media Diversity Australia has a fantastic resource coming that I can't talk about just now, but uh, it's all about disability and everyone who wants to know how the heck to talk about disability but just has no clue, which is, which is most of us used to be me. Yeah. Um, very, very shortly. There's, there's going to be a resource available and I'd, I'd really encourage you all to, to find out more about that shortly because we put a lot, a lot of time into that. So we'll be able to be able to share more about that soon. I'll pop it on LinkedIn and, and things like that. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of time's gone into it. And it, yeah, it won't, won't just help journalists, which it's, it's predominantly for, but um, recruiters and all, all sorts of people who want, want to know more about language and, and things like that for, for the disability sector and, and how they have to talk, talk about us. Brilliant, Lisa. Thank you so much. And it's, um, you know, it's wonderful that you have, um, you know, pushed yourself to take risks and to find your voice in this space against, I know what has often been um, a lot of opposition um, so thank you for jumping into the arena and um, using your voice so passionately in this space and starting where it's really visible. Um, so, you know, I'd encourage anyone when these resources become available to, uh, to find them, to find you on LinkedIn or to find Media Diversity Australia and to find these resources. So thank you for your um, bravery, for joining our conversation on Brave Feminine Leadership. It's lovely to have your voice as part of the conversation, Liz. Thank you, Melissa. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising. <laughs>